think it's less about the gallery and more about the image and the photographer that I'm, I'm concentrating on. So I, I see myself as a vehicle for other people to tell their stories or have me tell their stories because they can't be here. And I like telling stories. I've been, I've been on stage since I was eight years old. And This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today we are going to go talking about galleries. Today we're going to talk about the dream, the desire that just about all of us have, and that is to find our work hanging on the wall in a beautiful space with ample light and a, a loving caretaker brooding over all of it. Today, we are talking with David Mark. David is a Brit. He's living in Germany. And after nearly 40 years in sales and financial services, woke up one morning and said, you know, I think I'm going to open an art gallery. And so he has opened a new gallery in Bad Hamburg, Germany. It's called the, the Taunus Photo Gallery. David, how are you doing this morning? Hello, Scott. Thank you for taking the time just to, to speak with me. That was a very complimentary introduction. And um, <laughs> the actual, the, the way the gallery arose is only very slightly different from what story you recounted. I had indeed been in financial services in sales most of that time in Frankfurt for about 38 years. When due to all sorts of, for all sorts of other reasons, and also because I was turning 65, which is a kind of more or less statutory retirement age, I decided I was too young and enthusiastic to hang up my boots. I needed something to do in life because I've been doing something for 38 years, a, a daily job, and I love photography. I have always loved photography for many years. I've taken lots of pictures all for myself, never never want to distribute them. And I thought this was a good way of staying attached to photography. It, it says on your bio that you have a longstanding interest in photography and theater. Tell me about both. <laughs> That's correct. I, if I could live my life all over again, I probably would not spend much of it in sales and financial services, but would spend much more of it either trying to become a professional actor and going to real acting school instead of doing it as an amateur, which I've done since the age of eight. Or I would actually go to a decent photography school at the age of, say, 20 and make my way in that world. But this way I can still stay attached to both of them. So tell, tell me about a little bit more about the decision to open a gallery because i mean there are so many avenues you could have taken to follow the, this interest why a storefront why a space for people to come together first of all i i do believe sincerely that what, what frame says is that good photography belongs on paper and i've read that in a few places um but particularly in frames and i just believe that wholeheartedly. So what happened when I decided that I should quit my job was 
I I saw um, I'm on too many email lists, so I saw um, <laughs> an email from a gallery I know in the south of England called Bosom Gallery that they were having an exhibition, 40 years of Michael Kenner with 40 prints. And I thought, well, I'm never going to get another chance to see 40 prints of Michael Kenner in one place. So I just took off. I went to uh, I went to visit this gallery in England. I know Luke, who runs the gallery. And we were talking, and I was telling him about, you know, me taking a new route in life. And after talking a long time... And listening to his words of instruction, I decided to give it a go. And so the first two exhibitions I had, and I opened the gallery in August 2020. So in retrospect, looking at COVID, probably the worst possible time you could open a retail <laughs> outlet. But, you know, we'll read history books about who took what decision in 30 or 40 years when we're less close to it. And Luke helped me with the first two exhibitions, which were of Yi Sun and Margaret mm -hmm. Soraya. They had both had exhibitions at, at the Bosom Gallery. And so it was more or less a rough and a, a ready-made exhibition that I, I brought over here. Then I decided that I should do something on my own. And having told you I'm already on too many emailing lists, I had received about six years ago an email from a gallery in California which said, Roman Laurent has published a new book called Traces. And if you buy the expensive version of the book, you also get a print. So I, I looked a bit at his work and I bought the expensive version of the book, which came with a print. And that was how I became familiar with Romain Laurent's work. Later on, when I was deciding on the exhibition after Yisun and Margaret Soraya, I thought, well, he doesn't know who I am. I called him, I, I got in touch with him out of the blue and I said, Roman, you don't know me, but I do know you a bit about your work and I love it. Do you have a gallery in continental Europe or can we talk? And the result of us talking is an exhibition that I'm running now called Silver Light, which brings together four photographers. The core photographer is Roman Laurent. And these four photographers are all connected by being very old-fashioned, manual, on film. They develop all film themselves. They print all their own images. Um, so that's what, that's what holds them all together. It is wonderful work. It, it is on your website. And I need to tell everybody, there is a website, obviously. And I'm going to spell it out for you. T-A-U-N-U-S-F-O-T-O-G-A-L-E-R-I-E. Dot com, Taunus Photo Gallery. It, it is a beautiful website. It's well designed, and you can see an awful lot of this work there. David, before we get into the exhibits, and, and I do want to talk about the current one as well as the previous two, I'm curious about curatorial aesthetics. Does Taunus have a, a, an argument? Does, does it have a point? Is it, are, are you, you know, looking for a certain kind of work? How do you go about deciding? What's going to be on your walls? Good question, Scott. I thought when I started that it was going to be much harder because I didn't want to run the risk of confusing my personal taste with what, with what might sell. 
And my goal is to have a business. It's not to be a museum. And so I know that I have a soft spot for landscape photography. And what I have shown so far, I guess you could classify as landscape photography. It's not that I am against portrait photography or anything else, uh, street photography. It's just my personal soft spot. How I curated what I have at the moment, the first two exhibitions were relatively easy because they were kind of ready-made exhibitions. And I just had to find out the stories behind each image and the stories behind the photographers because it's all very well to have some nice images on the wall but without the stories behind them they're just decoration on a wall and there has to be some emotional connection between the prospective buyer and the image, either they know the photographer or they've met the photographer or they've been to the same place that the photographer has photographed or something, there must be some emotional trigger for people to be interested in spending the kind of money that you would spend on some of these prints. And that brings me to another point. You know, people have said, well, you should sell stuff on the internet. I said, well, well, I do. You know, we're not talking about buying a new pair of socks or a pair of sneakers, which you can send back if they're the wrong size, the wrong color, or you don't like them. And, and the people who've asked this question, I say, well, would you actually spend anywhere between $500 and $5,000 on a piece of art for a wall at home without going up close to it, standing 50 centimeters from it, smelling it, touching it, feeling it, that, 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 that kind of tactile sensation that you get when standing in front of a good print to, to see all the details. David, you're talking about two different responses, though. You're talking about sort of the the eye response when you're standing in front of it, and then you're talking about let's just call it the, the the heart response or the mind response with the stories behind them. Is, is is there a balance there that you're looking for? I mean, how important is the non-image information for appreciating fine art? It can be important to people who know a bit about photography. So when I tell people that Roman uses a 4 by 5 field camera, many people who come in the gallery don't know what a 4 by 5 field camera is. So I show them one, or I go onto Google and show them one, and they're really surprised that those kind of things still exist. And I say, yes, you can't walk around as a tourist with something like that hanging around your neck. Um, and two of the other photographers I'm exhibiting at the moment, Bigot Maddox and Angus Haywood, they use 40-year-old Hasselblad cameras, pre-digital. They don't have any light meters in them. It's all manual. So I believe that belongs to the story, if that's what the story is that, that brings these photographers together. Clearly, for someone taking pictures on you know, a digital camera out of an aeroplane window looking vertically down. No, obviously that isn't part of the story. There it's more about composition and color combinations. But yes, and how do I choose which photographs? Let's go to Roman Laranque. So 
He has taken quite a few pictures this century, also in parts of Eastern Europe, mainly Lithuania and Poland, where he was born. But what attracted me to him was mainly the pictures that he took in the Central Valley in California, where he lived for many years. And a lot of those pictures are a bit like you could see in the forests around here. There are oak forests in fog. Well, Europeans coming into the gallery have a completely different image of Central Valley in California than local oak forests. <laughs> so you have to get people comfortable with that. And then when Birgit said, well, which photographs should I bring? She was actually keener on bringing her photographs of California than I was. And I said, no, because I've got Roman's pictures of California. And so I would prefer to have your pictures from Germany, the Netherlands, and Italy, which are the ones that, that, that I have here, so that there's enough of a contrast between her and Roman. Mm-hmm. I love the act of curating here. I love the act of, of, of putting the photographs together to make a, a composite thematic uh, grouping. But before we get to the individual exhibits here, one more question about the space. When you and I were talking a couple of days ago, you were kind enough to turn the, the phone or the laptop around and give me sort of vis- a visual tour. How did, you dis- how did you decide upon the actual space that the gallery now is in? And, and, and what, what do you think good gallery presentation means? I used to live in a village about five miles away from the gallery. I cycled over here one Sunday and cycled all around the town to see realtors' posters. And I took pictures of all these realtors' posters, and then I, then I called them all up. And I said, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking for. This is roughly the size, which is 80 square meters, which is 800 square feet. And... Show me what you've got. So I, w- I went to see a couple of places with, with various people, but I wanted to be in a side street off the main shopping mall here. So as I don't want to pay shopping mall rents, and I want to pay s- side, side street rents. Um, and <laughs> I came in, and the, the realtor, when he brought me, he said, well, I have to warn you about this place because actually it's, it's in, it being rebuilt and it's not going to be done for, uh, you know, work's going on. It won't be finished for another three months. And I said, perfect. I cannot start tomorrow. I don't want to rent something from tomorrow anyway. So we looked at it and I wanted a couple of things done differently. They had some nice bare brick walls and we ended up covering them up with white because I did not want potential customers to come in and be distracted by finding patterns in in the brickwork, but to concentrate solely on what I wanted to hang on the wall. So I made everything white. I, I got an electrician to hang some lighting here and it's all movable on tracks so I can change lighting as I like. And I have three rooms, and that's divided now among four photographers. And, and there is a lot of light that comes into that place. It, it is, is the gallery different on a sunny afternoon than it is at 9 p.m. at night? 
<laughs> Very different. At 9 p.m. at night, I have all the lights on, and actually from the outside, it looks rather nice. On a sunny afternoon, I get, I get the direct sun coming into the gallery until about one or two o'clock in the afternoon, and then it, uh, then it goes around the side of the house. So I have light and less light uh, as, as the day goes through, and it actually looks quite stunning. <laughs> it it does indeed. Well, I mean, you you have to be in love with, with the space that, that you're using to promote this stuff, because I mean, it, we can all put all of our pictures on the internet, and you know, get thousands and thousands of people to look at it. But that's nothing compared to actually seeing it physically on a wall. And and presentation uh, is is one of the real things that we're all after, you know, for somebody to see our, our, our work in a good space and, and cared for. David, your gallery is is very young, and, and yet the work you've been hanging on the walls really is impressive. So l- let's talk about some of the exhibits you've had so far. Talk to me about Yi Sun. Now, you, you already said that, you know, th- this was an exhibit that you'd seen over in England, and so it was pretty easy to bring over, but you could have brought 10 other exhibits that you've seen in England. Why this one? What spoke to you here? So Yi Sun was born in Wuhan, the source of coronavirus, but he's lived in Cambridge in England for more than half his life. So he's now 39 and he's lived in Cambridge for 21 years. He has a great gift of being both scientifically trained and having this amazing eye for the combination of color and, and and composition. What he does is he goes to the furthest flung corners of the world after doing a lot of research on, on Google Earth, knows what he wants to what he wants to photograph, goes to the nearest little small airport, rents a Cessna with high wings and a pilot, and as they get in he says okay, the door either has to stay open or you leave it on the ground because what you are going to do, dear pilot, is fly up to about 3,000 feet and then rather than flying with your wings parallel out to the side, you're going to turn and do tight loops so that I'm going to photograph vertically down through the hole where there was once a door and you never see a horizon on any of of Yison's pictures because he's shooting vertically downwards, but he has this amazing ability to, within mini micro split seconds, to have the most amazing compositions. This is all digital, but he does not use Photoshop or any other software to change anything. The only thing he will do is he'll have a, he'll have a polarizing filter on. So to cut out reflections as much as possible. And he flies at, at midday when the sun is at his highest, also cutting out as many reflections as possible. What he will do is if you and I were sitting next to him in an airplane, trying not to fall out through the hole where there was once a door, we would see exactly the same colors with our naked eyes as he sees in his camera. So he had just a most amazing story. He's photographed places, um, you know, deserts next to the ocean in Brazil. He's photographed beautiful areas in Western Australia. And he also has 
a bit of a, a green message because flying over many parts of Western Australia, he was also flying over tailing ponds, which is where uh, mining companies send all their waste. And he made the most beautiful photographs of these of people's dustbins, basically. They're not physically dustbins, but it's, it's right. where mining companies send all their waste into these tailing ponds. And so to people who say, well, how can you make beautiful art of such a, a poisonous waste product? He would say, well, if I were Sebastian Salgado taking ugly pictures of poor people in Africa, are you more likely to buy them if they're ugly pictures? No, you're not. So you can make beautiful looking art out of something that is ugly and raise consciousness about what is happening to our environment that way. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. I, I can see your investment in the story behind the uh, photographs here, j just with the, the, the passion and the detail you've got for telling this one. And they are beautiful pictures. Tell me what happens, though, when you're, you're in the gallery, somebody's standing there, they're looking at this beautiful, beautiful picture, and you walk up and tell them what it is. Do they take a step back? Do they take a step forward? You know, how, how does that backstory influence the aesthetic reception? It is, it's undoubtedly very, very important because when people stand back and they come into a gallery and first take in one of his pictures, often they don't know what they're looking at. And first of all, I tell them what it is they're looking at, that they're looking down vertically from 3,000 feet up. And then I go into the history, and that just brings the, the history of both Yison and the picture and where he took the image and, and, and why and, and what he believes it represents. That brings it alive. That brings it much closer to a potential customer than a few lines and a couple of colors. I got to admit, I, I mean, these stories really are compelling. These are the kind of things that I'm looking at a piece. I'm thinking I like it, but I don't know why. And, and you know, a lot of these images, they're not abstract, but they're not immediately recognizable either. Um, as you said, they're tailing ponds or whatever. In the photograph, this just colors and lines. It's, it's, it's beautiful work that, that evokes an emotional response. And you hear the background and you're thinking, oh, my God, I got to have this. Your second exhibit was Margaret Soroya, who is very different than Yi Sun. You could have brought, again, any other exhibition in the world to your walls. Why this one? There are two reasons. One, I like Margaret as a person. A two, she had had an exhibition in England at the Bosom Gallery that I'm a f where I'm a friend of Luke's. And so there was a kind of if you like a ready-made package. I have more wall space here than Bosom does, so she sent me more pictures than were exhibited in Bosom. Margaret is a, 
She's an unusual character in that she wants to be alone. Being alone does not mean that she's lonely. She's not lonely, but she spends a lot of time alone uh, because that's when her creative juices flow best. And what she has photographed is mainly the 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 Hebride Islands off the the Hebrides off the west coast of Scotland. Some listeners may know uh, some of them as uh, the island of Harris and Lewis, and Harris is where Harris Tweed comes from. And and there are all sorts of nice whiskies made there as well. Margaret actually lives in mainland Scotland, right next to Loch Ness. And she drives for a couple of hours west and takes a ferry. And she just loves being alone on islands for two weeks, walking along the shore, waiting for the right weather. What she's very, very good at doing is showing stormy weather, but in a very gentle way. So you'll see curves of, of waves and they're, they're kind of frozen, but you can see they're in motion. Exposure times is going to be somewhere in between a quarter of a second and a second. Um, so you get the movement of the water. It's not smoothed out. Um, and if she can combine that with uh, rainbows and landscapes in the background, that's wonderful. She's very, very talented in that way and can spend days on end and sometimes actually not take any images that she's happy with. You know, every half hour, the, the, the weather changes because it comes straight across the Atlantic. Newfoundland is the, is the closest thing west of the Hebrides. So it's, it's, if you just wait five minutes, the weather will change. And what many people have couldn't believe is that she also changes no colors at all. The color of the water in the Hebrides is as turquoise as you see it in the pictures. If we're standing next to her, those are exactly the colors we'd see with our eyes. David, you've got a theme going on here, but then you've got the the current exhibition as well. For the first two, you have a kind of thematic contrast going on. You have beautiful pictures of oftentimes poisonous things. Here you have really, really beautiful pictures of very kinetic, very dynamic, you know, storm-driven seas. Lots of color in the first two exhibits. But then you've got the current one. You have the, the silver light exhibit, which is all monochrome. I mean, did you decide, hey, I've had enough of color for a while? Or how, how did you go about putting together the idea for Silver Light? First of all, the idea came uh, by me understanding Roman's pictures right. and being in touch with him and saying, yes, we'll do an exhibition together. Then I was looking to see what else I could fit in with Roman. And there was Birgit Maddox and then Angus Hayward, whom I know, who lives in the south of England, and Oliver Miller, who, despite his English-sounding name, actually lives in Bad Homburg here around the corner from the gallery. And there were things in common that I thought were just worth highlighting in this manual, non-digital, analog, monochrome world. And so then it was more of a challenge of... Which of which pictures from each of those photographers do we put on the walls here? So 
I have more pictures than in in various drawers here than I do on the wall because there's not enough wall space. But mm-hmm. um, yes, so I, I've I've selected some, and in fact, in two weeks' time, or just under two weeks, no, at the end of July, Roman is going to be here, and we'll have a sort of vernissage opening event. He'll talk about his works, and we'll record that. I've done the same with the other photographers recorded various conversations that we've had because it's been COVID. Some of them have not been able to be in the gallery. So they're on zoom. And then we, we release those, but it's, it's interesting because people who cannot physically get to the gallery also then understand the stories behind, behind the images, which are so important. It it is beautiful work. But, you know, I'm listening to you talk and I I am intensely jealous. But then again, I'm sitting in the middle of the United States, in the middle of North America, and I'm seeing all this work. And yes, I'm seeing it on a laptop. Am I having a a foundationally different experience than seeing it on your walls? You are having a different experience. Foundationally, I don't know about, but... I know that when I I can look at the difference on my own PC and the website of the gallery, and then I can walk up to a print and look at it, and I just see so much more detail. So much more has gone into it than one can see on most screens. So that's why I would encourage everyone who, who at all possibly can to come into the gallery to appreciate the detail in those images, which... Mostly just doesn't, some of it doesn't come across. It also allows me to tell the stories behind the pictures as well, if they're here physically. But uh, that's another, that's, that's another story. <laughs> and and, and the, the gallery is trying to move the work out into some other space too. I mean, it is finally a storefront and, and you're trying to get people to take this art home with them, which is, you know, what all of us hope is that our work finds a loving home somewhere else. Tell me about approaching you. You know, somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, you know, this gallery sounds cool. David sounds like a great guy. I'm going to send him some of my work. What are you looking for? And and how does somebody go about approaching a gallery? You know, just cold email? Do you send images? What do do you want to see from somebody that wants to work with you? Thank you. Good question. And one that I have had to learn how to answer myself over the past nine or 10 months. I thought it would be much harder to find photographers to exhibit in the gallery than it then has proved to be the case. I get quite a few emails from photographers because they see a gallery as an additional vehicle to, to earn some money to sell their work. And what I am looking for most is not some specific type of photography, but it's Photography with stories. I, I can't sell beautiful pictures of someone who's been on a fantastic beach holiday in the south of Italy and they've just got beautiful beach pictures. The, the nice beach holiday is very nice for them, but it's not a sales vehicle for me. So I have also looked at pricing. If we look at photography as a pyramid, At the bottom of the pyramid, we have 
something like three billion grandmothers on this planet taking bad pictures <laughs> of their dogs and grandchildren um, on out-of-date mobile phones. They're terrible. And at the very other end of the pyramid, you've got the top, I don't know, 1,000, 3,000, maybe it's 5,000, the world's best photographers. So I want to start at the top, and I don't want to put a foot on a single step going down. So I need to be careful that I'm contributing to building the reputation of the gallery as a high quality place where you can always rely on the fact that you will find the highest quality photography. So that doesn't mean there are kinds of pictures that I won't take, you know, fashion pictures. No, of course I will have fashion pictures one of these days. It's not something I've personally been interested in, but if there's a photographer and he has a good argument and good stories behind his beautiful pictures, absolutely. Is there... A vision that is particularly yours, and, you know, if I can say, oh, this comes from, you know, Taunus Photo Gallery, is, is, am I going to be able to recognize the style or is it always going to be the story then with the intriguing picture? I think it's less about the gallery and more about the image and the photographer that I'm, I'm concentrating on. So I, I see myself as a vehicle for other people to tell their stories or have me tell their stories because they can't be here. And I like telling stories. I've been, I've been on stage since I was eight years old and mm -hmm. all through my previous life as senior salesperson in financial services, I was always less interested in the number of zeros on an invoice than my boss's boss was. I was always much more interested in establishing relationships with the customers or potential customers I was talking to. And that's what I do here in the gallery. If you come into the gallery, that is the big step for me. You may not like the pictures on the wall here, that doesn't matter because there'll be another exhibition. And if you don't like those, the one after. But it's important to get that footfall through the door to try and establish a relationship. You know, David, listening to you talk and you just touched upon the theater again, it dawns on me what a remarkable background that is for opening a gallery to have that theater experience to, because it is a stage. It is a set. The a actors certainly have to establish a rapport with their audience the same way that you're dealing with story, the way that you're dealing with what, what's this image really about. That's, that's what a really good play is, whether it's straight up drama or even musical theater or comedy. You know, it, it is that story behind what you're seeing in front of you. And that's what brings us back to the stage all the time. What a remarkable way to think about a gallery or what a, what a remarkable background to bring to it. The stories really are, the, the stories are so important. And I noticed that when photographers are here and we do some, we've done a few events, I, I noticed that some of them are keener on speaking to an audience than others. And so where they're less keen, I will ask them more questions. To, 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 to get them into the sort of comfortable zone of talking about themselves. Some people don't like talking about themselves because they think it's 
selfish. And, and I say, no, that's mm-hmm. why, that's why the people are in the gallery. They're to, they're here to hear your story about you and why you took that picture and what the weather was like that day or whatever it is. Oh, that, that is so very cool. What have you got coming up next? Have you, have you got the next show already in the works? I've got a few shows in the works, but I don't have any dates because when I was working with Luke and planning to open this gallery in Germany, he, he was very keen on planning as far ahead as possible and getting everything in, 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 in contractual, written contractual signed form. And I understood that and have done that. And then along came Corona. And so I do not have an end date for the current exhibition, but what I want to do is have at least three clear corona-free months, COVID-free months of having an exhibition because that way I can come to a sensible judgment of whether it's been a success or not or on feedback. I know there are others I'd like to exhibit and I've talked to them about exhibiting in the future, but you know, we haven't got any dates yet. So it unusually, I don't have an end date. I suspect it'll be sometime towards the end of 2021. Are people there getting out and about at all? I mean, given the virus, what what is a good day at the gallery? 10 people? Five? On a weekend, 10 is good. On a weekday, five is very good. It's It's been strange because when I started the gallery in August 2020, we were already in COVID and we had quite a few more people coming to see Yi Sun's work because I think they hadn't had proper lockdowns then. That was all just being introduced. Mm -hmm. Then after that, we had Margaret Soraya's work, which was from, I think, the late October, early November until sometime in January this year. That was disastrous in terms of getting people into the gallery, physically into the gallery. Things have relaxed a little bit, but they are just not what they were a year and a half ago. So there are people out and about, but I think there are many who are still a little wary of going into enclosed spaces. So I keep all the windows open when there are guests here. (laughs) You know, you do all the stuff and say, people, listen, I've been vaccinated twice, so you're not going to catch anything from me. I won't catch anything from you. Some people want to wear masks. Others don't. It's as I, I don't lay down any laws about this. So I hope that we are going to get back to something approaching normality in the coming months, but we're not there yet. You know, as difficult as it is now to get that kind of traffic in there, I I have to believe this is a wonderful time to open something like this, because when we do get out and about again, I think we're going to be hungry. I think we're going to get out. We're going to say, I want to go to the galleries. I want to go, you know, see these things in person again. So the business model has got to be completely optimistic, starting from where we're starting. Thank you, sir. I'm impressed. I can't wait to get over there and, and see this stuff in person. I, I applaud you for, for opening a gallery at the most difficult time in, in anybody's lifetime that we can remember. And what wonderful work you've chosen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. And let me buy you a decent beer when you're over here or, <laughs> or, some, or some great local wine as well. It was very, very nice chatting with you and uh, look forward to staying in touch. It's a date. Thank you very much, sir. Bye-bye. Frames. 
Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.